everybody, and welcome to the Dev Morning Show at Night. I'm Cassidy Williams, and I am excited to bring on our lovely co-host, as always, Zach Plata. Hey, Zach. Hey, Cass. All right. Are you going to start playing this Hogwarts Legacy game that's just been going a craze? <laughs> I don't have a, play, a PS5, a PlayStation 5, and I don't have time because I'm yeah. hardcore playing Breath of the Wild right now again on the oh. on Switch. I, I yes, want to get every point. Korok seed in the game. And I who's got the <laughs> no time? No distractions. Yeah. <laughs> I'm very busy. Speaking of very busy but very cool people, we have Seuss Hinton on the show. Seuss is a senior software engineer at CloudStrike. Hey, Seuss. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to catch up with you all. Yeah, so glad to have you. Are you playing any games now? I know you've got a whole like cross-world move going and, and uh, new jobs and all kinds of things going. Are you playing anything? Mm-hmm. I'm super behind on games. The newest one that I want to play, which shows how behind I am, is Stray. You know, the one where you're a cat. Oh, yeah. In the cyberpunk world. Oh, yeah, I just want to play behind. that so bad. <laughs> I know. So my, my work has like a games channel where you play one game a month. Everyone plays it together. Um, oh, cool. And I just wow. missed the boat on, on them playing Stray as well just because things were just a little busy at the time when it came out. So that's my next one. Um, when I finish my current semester at school, I'm going to just play the crap out of that. So <laughs> the, that one looks really fun. I, I remember mm-hmm. seeing it looks so awesome. many, I remember seeing so many funny tweets where it was people saying like, okay, yes, like there's cool combat and stuff, but really I just like being a cat. <laughs> that's just what it's about for me. hundred percent. I am that person that's like, I don't really care about the main storyline. I'm just going to like go and play around as the character. Like I'm that person. So. Yeah. That's, that's pretty much what I'm doing with Breath of the Wild now where I, I've played it before where I've like completed the game and now I'm like, I'm going to complete every part of the game. And I've been playing this latest run through for over a month now. And like, if the, if these characters could talk, they'd probably be just like, she just doesn't care about the main quest. Like Hyrule is in danger and she does not care. <laughs> but the Korog seeds, I've got those. I feel the same way when I play Animal Crossing. Like, Isabel is really upset that my, I don't have a five-star island. And I'm like, you're ruining my vibe by asking me to do this right now. But anyway, yeah. How many Korok seeds <laughs> do you have, Cassidy? It's, uh, let's see. I have... I think I'm almost at 200 Korok seeds. Um, That's a lot, actually. Yeah. I tapped out of the game before that. Yeah, it's it's a lot of Korok seeds. But and here's the thing. I I only just unlocked the area with, like, the Hateno village and stuff. And so, like, this has just been me going around, like, the central Hyrule thing and everything. And, oh, wow. and so oh, it's I'm covering every inch of this map. And it's it's I'm probably I'm probably not going to be done like this year, but it'll be so fun. <laughs> Dedication, though. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, gosh, Sus, what are you working on right now? I am currently studying a master's. Actually, I'm just talking about outside of work. Um, I'm currently working on a master's of it's like a master of science in education. So it's like e-learning and education technology. It's like kind of, you know, the bleeding edge learning experience design, that kind of stuff. It's sort of the bleeding edge of education right now. And I I think the pandemic has definitely shifted a lot of those um, education masters in that direction. So I'm super excited to be taking this new program that the school just put out. 
Um, I do a lot of DIY stuff in my house right now. So just putting up custom shelving and that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. So that's what I'm doing outside work. It's definitely keeping me busy. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure. And I, I love that educational technology angle and everything. And I, I feel like there's so much potential to make so many cool things for people to learn better, especially now that people are more open to remote and it, it's, it feels like early days, even though it's probably not, but there, there's just so much to do. It's, it's really cool. Oh yeah. I agree. I'm really excited about the research, like, you know, the capstone, the research project at the end, because you are mm, kind of experimenting yeah. with, you know, trying to find, you know, the future of it. So I'm pretty excited to start that for sure. Well, now it's time to hear from our lovely sponsors, Launch Darkly. The Dev Morning Show at Night is a sponsored podcast. I mean, someone has to pay the bills around here. We're sponsored by Launch Darkly, and Launch Darkly is the first scalable feature management platform. That means dev teams can innovate and get better software to customers faster. How? By gradually releasing new software features and shipping code whenever they want, fast-tracking their journeys to the cloud, and building stronger relationships with business teams. Thanks for the money, Launch Darkly. Wow, money. Thanks. So anyway, Suze, what does your day-to-day look like between having a master's and all these DIY projects and uh, and your day job? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I I feel like this is going to end up like one of those YouTube videos, you know, a day in the life. Um, but I do actually start work quite early, so I'm going to start off with that YouTube cliche. Um, I work for an American company. So CrowdStrike is based in America. Most of my colleagues are actually in America and I have some in the UK too. So my hours tend to vary based on who I need to meet with, but most Mm -hmm. of the time I'll start at 7am and then I finish at 3pm, which I think is kind of the the perk of it, right? That's true. That's kind of nice to be done early in the afternoon. Yeah. So um, I really like that actually. And that's kind of how I roll. So in the morning, you know, I just do the thing where I check my email and all that sort of stuff, check Slack, leave emoji reactions everywhere, and then actually get on <laughs> with my day. <laughs> but I, I feel really lucky. So the team that I work on, which is the, it's got a full on name, it's the Strategic Counter Adversarial Research Team. It's actually an R&D lab. So, so we don't really have like a ton of meetings unless it's with the people you're directly kind of like you know, working on the research project with. So right now I have one stand-up meeting and it's on Tuesdays because it's Monday American time. So I have a really quiet Monday where I just code all day, which is amazing because most of my colleagues are actually not, they're still enjoying their weekends. And honestly, I have one stand-up on Tuesdays and one optional meeting on Thursdays. And most of the time we just shoot the breeze, I guess. Um, And it's great. This is like the dream, right? Like I was you know, going to say, that sounds so chill. That's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it's great. And so, you know, right now I'm working on a solo project. So that's why I'm not really uh, meeting with a lot of people very frequently. But um, towards the, you know, towards the kind of middle of this year and the last couple of quarters, I'll be working on something that will be highly collaborative. So I will definitely be in a lot of brainstorming meetings. I'll be getting a lot of feedback, following up with users and things like that. Um, but for now, I'm just doing a background project behind the scenes, which it kind of integrity checks the output of something very important that we output that the system uses um, for a project that we're working on right now. And so 
I just really have to do the behind the scenes work of, you know, calling all the correct APIs, pulling things down, integrity checking, make sure things are going right and sound the alarms if it's not. So it's kind of more like monitoring a DevOps work right now in infrastructure stuff. Um, but yeah, ne the next project will be very much like more UI and like actual software driven that the threat hunters in our company actually use. So that's, that's going to be really fun too. Yeah, those are such different ends of the stack. That's that's interesting. Do you like that it's so different? I really do. I think that's why I really jumped at this opportunity to work on a research team, just because um, it takes like it takes someone with you know who's sort of jack of all trades because you have to be comfortable jumping around. And I know that um, the context switching isn't too bad because you'll work on a discrete project, then you'll move on to the next. So it's not like you're switching all the time. But um, I get to work on something different constantly, which I really, really like. And I really like being able to put all of those skills that I've learned over my career, like into practice and into application and really kind of feel that, you know, all of that work I've put in over my career has paid off where I can just jump on anything. So it's cool. What kind of tools do you use on a day-to-day -day basis? I know you mentioned Slack already, but are there any core <laughs> other ones? <laughs> Yeah, I think Slack is just the mandatory thing these days, right? Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> but um, I, I'm kind of boring. I, I really just use Vim to code with uh, in item two. And mm. I just use the Dracula theme. I don't really fiddle Classic with my combo. stuff outside of it. <laughs> it really is. I love it. It's just, it's such a great color scheme. I've stuck with it for years and years now. Um, I use Obsidian to take notes just because like, I don't want to, put stuff in the cloud or anything. I just want all the markdown files locally. So I really, really, really like Obsidian for work-related tasks for sure. Um, and then I mostly am writing Golang these days. Um, you know, I sort of, I moved out of front end a couple of years ago and I kind of haven't really looked back. And I think I'm going to be working on a little bit of front end on the next project, but I mostly use Golang. So all the tool sets around that. Um, we run our stuff on a Kubernetes cluster. So I tend to be just running a lot of that, you know, containers, images, um, all of that sort of stuff locally as well on my computer. So, so all the I things that it. make your computer sound like a jet engine. Sounds like Basically. Yeah. 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 And, and <laughs> honestly, like, you know, I don't mean to throw shade or anything, but Kubernetes is not great on M1 laptops. And because I was the first on the yeah. team to have an M1 laptop, it was kind of months of everyone pulling their hair out and us trying to figure out how to get it stably running. So that oh has gosh. not been the best experience. <laughs> but once we got there, you know, I've been able to write code since then. So yeah, it's definitely like laptop go burr. Um, but <laughs> less so on the, like, I, I just have a giant, like, I have this 15 inch fully decked out, like that's mm. my work laptop. Mm. They really pulled all this, all the stops out because they knew that, you know, I'm on a research team. So we also have to do stuff like run machine learning models and things like that. Right. So we need like a pretty good deck. Yeah. And also I am a fellow Obsidian user and I love it for taking notes. I just love local first stuff uh, and like cloud things syncing is optional and it just works if the internet's down. That's so nice. Yes. I love it. I use it for capture the flag competitions as well because oh. it just helps me really oh. stay organized because you tend to be just kind of a bit like, I don't know, frantic over the weekend. So you're trying to throw code samples in along with bullet points and notes and link to different pages and things. And it just makes it like so quick 
to do that, right? I know a lot of people use Cherry Tree for their CTF and their like bounty hunting, but I just really love using Obsidian for that. Yeah. Would you mind explaining capture the flag tournaments for those out there who don't know what those are? Yeah, totally. Um, it's really, really fun. So just for background, like I work for a cybersecurity company and I did a cybersecurity degree uh, over the pandemic just because I've always been interested in that stuff. And um, a, a CTF or a capture the flag event is basically a competition where you need to, it's kind of like a hackathon, but from the actual like, you know, hacker man perspective, um, <laughs> actual sort of computer hacking, I guess, um, that kind of cliche with the hoodie and all that. Um, so obviously it's not just men doing it. I just want to qualify yeah, that. It's mm -hmm. just that, that, that gif is so funny to me, but anyway. Um, and so what you have to do, it depends on whether it's like a defense CTF or a offense CTF, but usually you have to kind of run some exploits and actually decode something or hack into a machine and you find the flag and the flag is usually just a small piece of text. And the text usually follows like the same convention, you know, for a competition. So it might just be like F-L-A-G for flag and then a number. And then that's the proof that you've actually gotten past all the different barriers and you've actually hacked your way in. So you submit as many flags as you can in the competition and then you can do... Um, you can win really cool stuff like these challenge coins Ooh. when we do the makeup brush thing. <laughs> yeah, so um, National Cyber League is like a, a collegiate competition and I did two of those. And if you end up in the top whatever rank, uh, you get cool challenge coins. So yeah, so that's the CTF. They're really fun and you learn so much because you're forced to do stuff like, you know, I'm really bad at active directory exploits and so it forces you to like actually learn the things you've been putting off. So, yeah, is that's, awesome. that's where it's like blue team and red team, where red team is offensive and blue is exactly. defensive, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I yeah, I did totally. some of those way back in the past, and I remember learning so much and being just like, "Wow, every computer I've ever used is so vulnerable." <laughs> Whenever yeah, I, I know, <laughs> it's so true. It's just like Windows. Just forget about it, honestly. And like, I just yeah, a lot of most exploits are tuned for Windows. Uh, Mac OS and Linux less so, but you know, obviously there's still big issues with a lot of things and a lot of like vulnerabilities are up on the application level, right? Like right at the mm -hmm. top of the OSI stack. And so, you know, log4j, for example, you know, it just that's, that's cross-platform, right? So yeah, it's just, it's actually scary. The more you learn about cybersecurity, the more you realize how fragile everything is. For sure. Yeah. Gosh. Well, we know that you build cool DIY things and you're studying masters now and did security over the pandemic what got you in the industry in the first place mm -hmm. so i have the most cliched story ever so i apologize <laughs> for that um let's go when <laughs> when i was a kid um having a computer in your house was still kind of a luxury mm. um and so we eventually got a computer in the house because my uh my uncle was getting rid of his old commodore 64 uh, yeah, so Whoa. that's the cliche. I started with Commodore 64. <laughs> and let just, just to set the scene, Commodore 64 came out, I think, like around when I was born in the 80s. But like this was like the early 90s at this point. So people already had like Windows 3.1 and stuff like that. So, <laughs> you know, we got the actual hand-me-down that nobody wanted. And my dad's like, we're getting a computer. And I'm like, I don't know what that means, but it sounds cool. <laughs> um, and then... 
he sits me down in front of it and it's just a prompt, right? You know, that really beautiful electric bluish purplish prompt. And I'm like, how do I use it? And he just plunks down the manual, right? And I was like nine. So I was already able to read and all that. So I just kind of taught myself just by, you know, poking registers and doing all of the basic programming language, you know, foundations. And that's how I started. And I was like, I love this. And I was just making arts with like poking registers and getting sprites to show up and I'd print it out and draw all over it. And, and I was just having a lot of fun with it. And so, um, you know, that just naturally progressed to, you know, when I eventually got the internet, um, at home, I was like, Oh, websites are really kind of easy to make. It's just HTML and notepad. Right. And so, yeah, it just naturally progressed to there. And, um, I didn't actually go to college for computer science because my my high school wasn't really super in tune with that stuff and they didn't even know that my, my career, my, you know, school counselor was, didn't even know to suggest that to me. So I just sort of scrappily got my way into the industry just through, yeah. <laughs> what, what did you Eventually, major in? Now, yeah. uh, I didn't major in anything. I went to what's called TAFE, which is tertiary and further education in Australia. Uh-huh. I guess the closest thing uh-huh. is community college. So it was sort of a technical school arm of a major university. And I did multimedia because that's showing my age, right? (laughs) So, you know, sound production, 3D modeling, um, video production, flash games. so cool though. um, Databases, right? And so that was two years. And I didn't learn a lot of programming because I already kind of knew it. But I did learn how to do a lot of things, right? Which, Which came in way more useful in my career later on than I thought it was going to. So... Well, and I feel like at that time and kind of in early mid 2000s and stuff and and getting into like early 2010s, knowing how to do the multimedia type things of like flash and video and stuff was almost necessary in addition to the coding, depending on what you were working on. Yeah. That's what my first couple of jobs were actually, were producing (laughs) CD-ROMs. Wow. <laughs> you know, with Macromedia Director. This was before Adobe even bought Flash, you know, and, and I worked Man. in an advertising agency where I was literally making web banner ads for Ford dealerships like (laughs) you know just and the cars were zooming around with the price coming in you know and it was just like all of those really bad flash ads from back in the day that used to also destroy your laptop battery when you were you know scrolling through a website (laughs) so I mean it was it was actually you know because it was a technical school they were actually giving you the direct hands-on teaching of skills that the industry needed at the time you know it was an incredibly Mm. agile school that you know I actually returned to teach there for a while and I was able to say screw this cold fusion this is going out of vogue now I'm going to rewrite the entire curriculum for to teach PHP and they were like yep go for it you know and so it was just such an amazingly dynamic school and the teachers there were just so incredibly inspiring that I almost am glad that I didn't know about computer science degrees because I think that um, going back to fill in that knowledge, you can always do. Um, but mm-hmm. that was a magical experience for me, for sure. And, and entering the field during those kind of wild times was also something that I'm so glad that I had. I agree. Man, good times. Okay. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know, right? It's just, I, I think about just like, remember when Transparent P&Gs came out with IE7? Game changer. <laughs> 
I know. I this know. is Everything the future. Yeah, even just remember the the Internet Explorer filters, the CSS filters. It was like, <gasps> oh, and now yeah. you know, obviously they're like way anything. better and way more performant and cross cross browser. But you know, when like all those CSS filters started coming in, and all of us olds were like, ooh. I remember this, yeah. I, I've done yeah. this before. Back. <laughs> yeah, it was <laughs> All right, it is now time for rapid fire questions. Ah. We're going to ask you things rapidly. Okay. So, we all have a domain name or project idea that we're squatting on. What are yours? <sighs> I I really am that person that's a total criminal with this stuff. So I just picked a small selection. <laughs> um, first one, yeah, first one is uh, readmeareead.me. And uh, the <laughs> idea was that if you have trouble sleeping and you're a nerd, then you can, there'd be like a podcast where someone will just very soothingly read out the readme of like a popular open source I love that. <laughs> yeah, I think I saw someone on Twitter recently said that they want to actually start doing it or they wanted to do a Twitch stream where they'd read out the manual or something. And so I feel like, you know, someone might actually go and do this. But I thought it was such a good idea at the time and I was so happy to register that specific domain as well. So, um, yeah, I should really probably do something about that one. That's a good one. I like yeah. it. That was the yeah, first step. Have, <laughs> yeah, the first step is the domain. And then, unfortunately, all the dopamine rush just makes you feel like, well, I'm done now. Yeah. I'm not going to make the thing anymore. Right? It's just <laughs> terrible. <started. laughs> um, so I also have byte.academy. I am actually going to do something with that. Ooh. Um, mm. Yeah, I have a few byte.blahs, actually. But byte.academy is my favorite one. Uh, I also have someday.lol. <laughs> which i like which i thought about just putting you know ideas on um and then the last one is fragile.systems so i Ooh, used to host that my... could be cool for the security stuff yeah yeah exactly so i used to host my um demos on that when i was like presenting back when you know uh, like in-person conferences yeah the before what times. a concept <sighs> seriously um so i used to put put them all on that because it was just easier for me to kind of have a cool looking domain and stuff and for some of the web usb demos like you wanted to have a domain because that was kind of some of the the really cool features of it um but that is actually now going to be transformed into um like a a side business that i'll be starting soon so fragile.systems is like my Uh new business um cool but yeah that's that's all kind of stealth right now so once i finish my masters that will be a thing so yeah, so they're they're my favorites, but like I do embarrassingly just have a lot of them, so it's a crime. It's, we, yeah, I understand. <laughs> what is the most recent thing you over optimized? So I used to do streams on Twitch and hmm. uh, really yeah, good Cassidy, streams, by the way. Oh, Love thank streams. you. Well, I feel like you've taken the baton and you've actually done a way better job than me. Um, but when I was on Twitch. You know, it's a gaming streaming platform and I'm sure you've run into this, Cassie. It just doesn't like feel like, like you make your own vibe on the stream, but Twitch around it is just not the right vibe. At least I feel that way. Um, so I, just before I stopped streaming, ironically, I, I started working on my own streaming platform that was just for me. It wasn't going to be open source. Ooh. And what I ended up doing was I researched the crap out of every single 
streaming, you know, like actual video streaming technology that I could use, like everything from like stuff on Azure, AWS, self-hosted, writing my own, all of that stuff. And I had like this Excel spreadsheet with a massive matrix. And what I was over-optimizing was how can I get sub-second streaming latency like what Twitch has, right? And so I eventually found one, but I, and like, you know, that respects users privacy that doesn't cost a fortune, you know, that, that also allows me to, um, also, uh, interleave a closed captioning stream. Right. And like all of those things, like you can't have all of them. I found out. So you just, I, you know, I had this giant matrix and then I picked one and I was just trying to get that website to be the fastest, most privacy supporting accessible thing ever and I just went so far down the rabbit hole like I had a dedicated server of my own in a data center so that I could support oh up word. to 300 oh. connections at once because WebRTC is just like really kind of like it's juicy on your on your resources so and I was doing like load testing and it was just oh so gosh. far over engineered and of course because of that I just never shipped it <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing though. Yeah. Video so takes sad. effort. Uh, like there every time I even like dip my toe it's in the so video much. world, I'm like gRPCs like like there's just so many things to learn and yeah, I learned so much and the biggest regret I have is not blogging any of it. Like I became like, you know, the streaming protocol expert, you know, like because I was just like, what do I do with all of this nerdy stuff that I know now, you know, and I wish I'd put it in a blog post because I've forgotten all of it. Somewhere, somewhere in the ethers of your brain. I do think mm -hmm. that Twitch has gotten better for live streaming, though non-gaming things like they added Good. a software and technology tag this that. past yeah, that year was towards and, the end of my time mm -hmm. yeah and and every time i do stream i've i can easily raid another software dev streamer at some point yeah that's like, really the, fun the community yeah. is growing which is nice yeah that is really nice i know that there's the live coders community and just a whole bunch of people it started getting really good when i left which is very silly of me to to tap out but you know i had specific reasons what is your golden rule for coding or working in general yeah i it was a hard time picking one because I'm that really passionate person that just has like a million feelings about it. But I think the biggest one for me, which is a really good umbrella for it is don't be dogmatic. Um, like, like just bring, or I guess bring critical thinking. If we want to like step back a little bit more, like bring th critical thinking into your day every single day, you know, don't be dogmatic about something just because it's the only tool that you are really comfortable with, you know, and you don't want to explore another one because then that makes you feel weird. Uh, don't, don't jump on the hype train and just try and introduce something you read about on Hacker News like this morning, um, mm. you know, <laughs> just things like that. Just like think about what is actually useful. What is something that, you know, is actually going to address my needs now? And try to avoid the hype train, try to avoid that feeling of FOMO. It's like, oh, well, if I'm not playing with it, then I'm not like, you know, cool or something. It's just things are going to come and go. And you've really just got to focus on, you know, the other side of it, which is like who you're building for and things like that. And so that pragmatism and, and, and not sort of being not putting your identity into a single tool, you know, not being the react person just because you've torn it to pieces and you know everything about it. Just like be willing to just kind of wander outside and, and, you know, like look at other things that might be a better fit. What is your favorite 
it depends question. <laughs> I think for me, it's like, do, do I need Kubernetes? <laughs> you know, which, which I've had my own version of that. And then after seeking the experts, indeed, I did need Kubernetes. And I was like, oh, no, I've done something so wrong if I need this. Um, and so, yeah, I, I really do think it depends. And I think that folds really nicely into the the sort of previous thing, the critical thinking, like, there are very specific uh, applications for it and reasons why you would want to use it. And it, don't just use it because it seems like it's the promise of DevOps where it does so much stuff for you because it does come with a large amount of both confusion and also just like YAML maintenance, you know? So yeah, it, it is really a does depend on your situation. Yeah, it is. It yeah. really is. It's kind <laughs> of like, well, it, it solves some of your problems, but it comes back to whack you with a stick later. So you've got to be prepared for that. Yeah. What is the oldest piece of tech you still own? Yeah, I so I have a bunch of stuff still in storage because I moved recently. So I think I have like an original Game Boy in there and an Atari. But I actually think I have something older, which is this little guy here. I'll do the, the makeup brush kind of technique. What? So this is a vacuum tube from the 70s. Um, I think this one was made for the French military. And this will make so much sense in a second. <laughs> okay. So I have, two, I have two of these that I specifically ordered online. I specifically wanted these mullet ones, which again um, were produced by the UK in the 70s for the French military. And you use them these days on tube rolling your headphone amps. Oh. So a lot of headphone amps have vacuum tubes um, in I order see. to just like warm warmth the sound, you know, bring some warmth to your audio. And so I heard that the Mullard ones from the 70s are a great fit for my headphone amp. So I've been tube rolling, you know, with amps and stuff. Uh, yeah, so. Wow. Do you have like a yeah. very fancy audio setup, one of those audio file setups? Not really. Um, I sort of... I'm that person that is a little too pragmatic sometimes where I'm like, I don't want another hobby where I'm throwing money down the toilet. So I'm just going to just do the amount that makes me sort of happy. And then I'll just pull out really quickly. Yeah. So I, I do have some <laughs> stuff, right? Like I have the, I have a set of Grados headphones, which are just absolutely phenomenal. And, you know, I have like a record player and, you know, I have that really nice headphone amp and things like that. But like, I sort of just, I'm like, okay, I'm good now, you know, so cutting I don't myself have off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Every hobby I have to cut myself off because I'm like, well, you, do, you can't do all of them. So, you know, yeah. Yeah. Someone yeah. should have told me that when I got into keyboards, <laughs> but here we are. All right. Um, have you written a piece of cringy code? And if so, what was the last thing that you remember writing? Mm, yeah, I, I do write a lot of cringy code. I think that um, it's difficult to remember it all, but I think the worst, the, the most cringy code I wrote was ages ago. I was much earlier in my career. This was before I, you know, went back and filled in all my ComSci knowledge. So, you know, I didn't know about all the data structures. I didn't know about, um, you know, like um, what's it called, like O notation and performance and stuff. So, you know, I was writing JavaScript for a retail website where, you know, you have like a color of something, a size of something, like uh, a different size, you know, whether it's a width or a length or whatever. And so the customer can like choose the exact thing that they want. And if it if we didn't have their thing in stock, right, we would try to sort of slice and dice all those different dimensions and try and find something super close to what they wanted, right? So like maybe it's a different color, but it's the same length and, and width or whatever. And the data just wasn't really in the, 
ideal format for that because it was a new feature we were trying to add to the site. And they're like, no, you just have to work with like whatever JSON already comes back to the page. So I, I kid you not, I don't know how I did this, but I did like 30 different for loops to like transform oh, the data, no. like one step at a time. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure that a bunch of them were nested. So we're looking at like, you know, we're looking at like N squared. Um, <laughs> End of the 10th. Sort of, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, just at least N squared. Yeah, like you said, probably worse. Um, and just what was I doing, you know? And so I look back on that and I'm like, someone else found that later on and that person has black, like, sort of like blacklisted me from every single <laughs> other place of employment they've probably like worked oh, out since we're no. like we are not hiring uh, that person no, no no i'm just kidding um but i would probably <laughs> deserve that from what i actually wrote so it's, bad. it's always fun to look back at that old javascript you're like oh that's straight up crashing mm. the browser it's so bad and just, <laughs> yeah this yeah. was back when we had to support you know internet explorer because a lot mm. of the customers were actually mm. from for yeah. coming coming over from there you know surfing the web at work and buying stuff so they just still had ie all right. What's your favorite programming pun? Yeah. So I'm not really a pun person, so I <laughs> I really tried to work on this one, especially for you, Cassidy. Mm. So you. you know, let's say you're at work and someone's like, "Oh, we should start using GraphQL." Just they say it out of nowhere, and you can be like, "All right. So like, don't go JSON waterfalls. Just stick to the swagger and the rest that you're used to." So. Wow. <laughs> that was amazing. So I, I admit that I kind of I saw the first <laughs> line on Twitter that don't go JSON waterfalls and I thought it was so funny. So I added the the, the, the rest of it. So beautiful. Uh, love that. A plus. Love it. <laughs> the best. I can't come up with that stuff on the spot. I'm just I'm not, I'm not that person. So. It's, again, probably probably a blessing. It's fine. <laughs> And lastly, what is your most used emoji? Oh, definitely sweat smile, without a doubt. Mm. It's like that's the ultimate a, kind of sheepish classic. thing. You know, it's like, please forgive. I'm very sheepish right now, but like, this is what I'm yeah. about to say. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's definitely going. Because you could be just like, ha, huh, that's funny. But also, the, like you, and then you can say it about your own stuff. It's it's versatile. It's, it's a great it's classic. It really is. It, it's I f it's the representation of you know in the anime shows when they're sort of like rubbing the back of the neck. And oh yeah, just like uh, it's like that. But that's how I actually feel when I'm using that emoji. So yeah, that's that's spot on. Okay, it's time for the random segment generator. Ah. We have random segments, and we'll find out what we're going to ask you. And our first segment is talk and ship. What's something that is <laughs> what's something that un that's underrated or overrated in the dev community, in your opinion? Mm, again, I I just so many Twitter drafts that I've deleted. Uh, <laughs> this kind of thing. Probably it's a safe space. I <laughs> I don't know. This is going out on the internet. Um, yeah. Uh, honestly, let's stick with like underrated. I think that I think it's really underrated to explore outside the domain you know really well mm. and just learn mm. something totally different just for the sake of it, right? Like it doesn't have to be a side hustle. It doesn't have to be relevant to your work. It's not a waste of time to just go and like learn something cool or new 
just for the sake of it. And like, you know, it obviously usually unexpectedly ends up like useful anyway, if you really feel guilty about it. Like an example is I have always just had like a very foundational knowledge of networking right like I've, I've only learned enough to be able to get away with it to be able to debug like I know what DNS is I know what happens when you type www into the web browser <laughs> right and you know I can I can reason about stuff but last year I went and got my network plus certification and that was just the most magical you know, three or four weeks of my life where there's, there's just so much out there about networking and it really did actually help me a lot more. Like I could reason about a lot of things, even just like network latency and actually understanding DNS on a really deep level and things like that. It's just like changed a lot about how I approach debugging and things. Um, and then when you find out about how the internet actually works, like BGP, which I know is like kind of more outdated, like, um, but BGP and autonomous um, systems on the internet and how they all sync up their routing tables and everything. It's just like the coolest thing ever. And you can also just debug all of the stuff in your house. Like you can actually like set up your router properly and you can be more confident that it's been locked down securely and stuff. And it's just, Mm -hmm. it's just this unexpected thing. And I just really feel that not enough people allow themselves to do that or not enough people realize how helpful it is to understand how computers work on a much lower level than even if you're just working on the application client side. It just helps so much. Yeah. Yeah. I agree completely. And the and and both on both on like you should be learning other things, but also just yeah, there, there's so many things to learn where mm-hmm. it can only help you. If anything, it could just be like a fun thing that you explain to someone someday. But like, mm-hmm. it sometimes it ends up being really, really valuable at another point in your life. All right. Our next segment we've got is Dev Oops. Oh, this is my favorite. Um, so tell us a story about, you know, something that you've broke or something that happened around that. I'm so sorry, Zach. I, I regret to inform you that I don't really have an exciting story about it so i'm that <laughs> I was gonna person. say you've oh, never okay. broken anything <laughs> i have like so i have like one tiny thing but like and i promise i'm not trying to make myself out to be this like amazing perfect genius it's just i'm that person that everyone else on the team is screaming at me to ship it and i'm like no 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 it's not ready yet. i just need to check this one last thing to see if like you know there's a regression or whatever and I was always that person, mm. always. It's different now because I work in research. So like, you know, uh, it's a different context. So it's not as much about that. But like, I used to be that person that was like, no, no, no. I just have a bad feeling about this and I'd go check it and I'd catch another bug. Um, and and so I'm just so thorough to the point of like just infuriating everybody that I don't break things very often. So I know that there's a balance there and I think I'm just too far on the other side, right? But like mm. one thing that I broke ages ago I was working at Kickstarter and I we we had just had this like way over complicated thing that we were trying to like pull off and there were these new events called transition events like CSS transition events so you mm-hmm. knew when the CSS transition animation had completed and that was really important like so important to the UI thing we were doing to prevent like uh to prevent like a glitch like a like a pop or a jump of the UI. And I thought, uh, you know, it wasn't consistent across all browsers. So I just thought that I had like, I'd I'd done it all. I was listening to every event possible, you know, because it had all the prefixes at the time, like MS dash and all that. (laughs) And I was like, it's good. And I obviously tested it to death. Like what I said, 
and I shipped it and then I went to JSConf um, and it broke while I was at JSConf no. and oh. someone else had it's to fix when it you're and else. I was like that person that was like having kittens you know sitting in the audience on slack going oh my god I'm so sorry and like David if you're out there watching this thank you for fixing that because he was just so lovely about it you know obviously he's like you're not in the office like go watch the talks don't worry about it it's a simple fix but it was because like there was this one prefix that I'd missed or something you know it was just something dumb uh, like that. so yeah. people couldn't actually back for a specific reward on the kickstarter project pages that's so which is kind of bad that's pretty bad yeah Yeah, so if they yeah i know so like i was kind of talking it down like if they clicked like back it now at the top they could but they couldn't select a reward directly from the page so there was a way around it but like most people are just kind of perusing the rewards so yeah it was not great but yeah that's that's the only thing that i feel like was catastrophic enough to talk about (laughs) those are always the most tedious ones where you forget like ah that one random browser prefix tiny css yeah i was so proud of myself for working with the design and we just it was like it was like chef's kiss beautiful the way that we handled it all and then i was like (laughs) (laughs) one case (laughs) (laughs) all right and our last segment is launch lightly crash darkly what is your best advice for someone just starting out in the software development world today that's really a tough one just because, you know, I feel that I'm not relatable in the slightest anymore. I don't know if you both feel that like, because again, I got in during the flash games uh, days, you know, mm. and I don't mm. have a computer science degree. So it kind of, I just look like that, you know, very privileged person. But I would say looking back on my career and what I wish I'd done at the beginning um, was learning how computers actually work. And I, I don't mean that mm. in the gatekeeping way. I just mean like, if you copy paste something from Stack Overflow, go that extra step if you can and find out why that fixes your problem. Or, you know, if, if something is wrong and, you know, someone's helping you out, don't just be like, oh, okay, cool. Thanks for spotting that. Say, how did you debug that? Or how did you figure mm. out that was wrong? Or like, why was this the fix? Or just, yeah, like if somebody says something that doesn't make sense to you. Just stop, put put stuff down and look it up. And I know that at the beginning, you're just like, well, I have to do that about everything. And I'm just so sick of Googling <laughs> stuff. But like learning how computers actually work deeper, you know, like deeper below the application la- layer, which tends to be where you are, just like is life changing. It really mm-hmm. is with your debugging skills, your instincts. Like when you look at other developers that are more experienced than you, And they just kind of seem to have that magical instinct where they just get something or they're just, they're they're able to reason about something, even if it's completely new to them. That's because they have some of that foundational knowledge and they can just make those extrapolations from that, that knowledge so much faster. And so it's worth putting in that time early because you will start accelerating your learning if you just Mm -hmm. fill in some of that first. Yeah, I agree with that a ton. And I do want to append don't let understanding every single nuance stop you from building and learning. Yes, like, yeah, yeah. Because there, there is that that aspect There's of it. Balance. Because the, there, there is a balance. But it is so useful to have that foundational knowledge in general, even if it's just something you do in doses over time to understand this is why something works. And what are you excited about in the world of software development right now? 
Yeah. Um, I tend to be someone who stays off the hype train. Um, Probably and healthy. I tend to just, yeah. <laughs> um, plus, I, I just, yeah, most of it's overhyped anyway. I'm not even going to go into that today on, on the latest hype. Yeah. Knowing mm. smile. Um, I really am excited about something that um, Cassidy and I were talking about earlier, like self-hosting and offline mm. things and like making networks that aren't necessarily you know completely supposed to the internet but let's say you have a friendship group that you trust with you know a dynamic ip and you can basically self-host a bunch of stuff and just kind of connect to each other's networks and things like that i think that that is really interesting because it's kind of taking privacy back um there's a really good repo called awesome self-hosted and yes. it is like oh. that thing is like it's, it's a so it's cool. a sink yeah, it's so cool. Um, and so setting up your own sort of bunch of servers on your network and then kind of like connecting those to your friends and having more like a, a tiny little internet on the internet, um, that's when I'm excited about more people doing and just taking back control of their own software because I really do think that SaaS has gone out of control, um, even though there's like really good intentions in it, right? Because, you know, it's, it's all in one place. You can access it everywhere. Someone is taking care of all the bugs for you. You don't have to set stuff up manually. I mean, I get it. I get why SaaS is just actually really an incredible progression in the industry. But for people who are just not doing businessy things, I just think that there's just your, your, the trade-offs and the compromises you're making on behalf of these large companies that have all your data is just not fair. And so I think that people creating their own networks uh, is the answer to that. Yeah, That's what I'm I excited about. I'm so into that stuff right now. Where I know the awesome self-hosted. I've gone deep oh, on that. So I know. I just, it's just it's like, so interesting. Oh, and, and I want to host everything. And it feel it feels like old school internet almost because yeah, it's the BBS it, days, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. kind of what it's a kickback to is the BBS days where like if you were in the club, you know, you you got access to someone's BBS, and I want that because I just want a much smaller community these days and people that I've pre vetted. Like Twitter is just an absolute diabolical nightmare, but it's all I have right now, and so you know I would rather just build my community and instead of just doing the extreme and just going back into the cave, right? So <laughs> it's almost like being one of those, uh, one of those survivor people that, that have like a, a tunnel in their house that has all of those oh, the cans preppers? of food yeah. and stuff. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. The preppers that, but digital is what it yes. feels like. Sometimes. 100%. That is, that is literally, yeah, it's that. And I know that a lot of people have discord service, right. And they have their friends in there. Mm -hmm. I think it's just more an extension of that. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Totally. I think that could be really cool. But yeah, I do like the the idea of like a digital prepper. I know it's, someone who does digital prepping, and he his project for a while was being able to automatically sync the entire Wikipedia English version to a Raspberry Pi, and then run it locally, so that no matter what happens, he has you know all of that knowledge. Wow. That's. Huh. That's a lot. <laughs> that was another person at Kickstarter. So Teej, if you're out there, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Teej, sorry. If Teej is out there, I've always been forever inspired by that. So What a project. Gosh. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. It is now time for Cassidy's Sage Advice. And I'm Cassidy, and I'm here with Sage Advice. And I'm going to piggyback off of what Sue said earlier and 
I think you should not be dogmatic and explore new things as much as possible. There's so many really exciting things in the tech industry, in the world in general, but tech specific, where you could learn a new language, a new framework, a new tool, a, a new anything, and you never know if it might be useful. You don't have to approach it like, I could monetize this in a side project. You could just explore it because you never know what you might be able to use someday at work or just on something fun for yourself. And you can build a lot of very fun things that way. That being said, Suze, Zach, thank you so much for being on the show. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me. I thank you for that that sage lesson. I feel like you actually get me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> got you, got you. That being said, Suze, where can people find you on the internet? Do you have anything you want to plug? Yeah, I've pulled most of my stuff offline just because I want to sort of break out of the public eye, but I am sort of working on some stuff. In the meantime, you know, if you want, if you're interested in learning when that stuff is going to come out, Twitter for now, while it lasts, um, is where I mostly am. Um, and so, yeah, I'll be sure to get something up beyond that soon. Cool. We'll drop your handle, the noopcat or noopcat, however one might pronounce it in the in the show notes. And then also we got to keep an eye out for fragile.systems. Mm, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, actually, I guess that is where you can watch out for more. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. And once again, because making podcasts is expensive, this show is brought to you by LaunchDarkly. LaunchDarkly toggles peaks of 20 trillion feature flags each day, and that number continues to grow, and you should use them. You can head over to LaunchDarkly.com and learn about how. Thank you for making this show possible, LaunchDarkly. I've been Cassidy Williams. You can find me at Cassidy, C-A-S-S-I-D-O-O, on most things, and I'm CTO over at Contenda. And I'm Zach. And I'm a DevRel at Rive, and you can find me on Twitter at Zach Plata. Thank you for tuning into the Dev Morning Show at night. Make sure you head over to our YouTube channel where you can like and subscribe. You can also listen to the audio version of this wherever you get your podcasts. 